Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Gateway to the Smokies. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep storied history, and a rich mountain cultures that we will explore with, explore with weekly episodes. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, a man of the world, but also with deep roots in those mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smokies for over 200 years. My business is in travel, but my heart is in culture. Today, we're going to talk about liquor in the Smoky Mountains. I'm going to introduce you to my cousin by marriage, Dave Angel, who is the proprietor, proprietor of Elevated Mountain Distillery. Who, hey, who, hey, how you doing? And he's an expert <laughs> at whiskey. We're going to talk about that liquor, white lightning, corn squeezings, Mountain Dew, white mule, so, splow, a white dog, or the most popularly known as moonshine. Hang on until the end, and that will give you some places to go and things to do in the mountains to help explore. explore. Now, last week, we talked about the Scotch-Irish influence on music in the mountains, but we didn't touch much upon their influence on distilling. Whiskey is actually derived from the Gaelic word us I hope I said that right, <laughs> which translates as water of life. And when the Scotch-Irish migrated to America, they brought with them a history of distilling that they, they adapted for use on, common, on the common grain of North America, maize, also known as corn. They learned a lot from the Cherokees in cultivating this crop and became experts at distilling it into spirits. Now, I remember... Growing up in the mountain in the mountains, that, that moonshine was a part of the fabric of life. If you went to the square dance hall on Saturday night, you knew that you could get a drink of moonshine out back. I, I remember that sometimes my dad got paid for construction work with moonshine. And, and before he was a construction company owner, he was a chemical engineer. And I remember that he he um I came home one day and I saw this glass contraption. <laughs> I had no clue what it was. It was sitting on the table. Uh, and I was pretty young and I was heading towards it. And he, he, he got in my way and didn't, kept me from break, breaking it. I, I didn't know what it was for several years, but he had made himself a glass still. <laughs> um, and um, so he, he was being true to his roots. Um, and other things I remember is that pigs love to eat the leftover mash from distilling. Uh, and then to this day, and even to this day, I know that some people believe that fa- that the you know our famous mountain herbal recipes remedies only work with a touch of moonshine in them. So uh, there's a lot of uh, cultural uh, richness to the cult- to, to moonshine in the mountains, but not all of the moonshine culture was good. So you know, a lot of people' lives are ruined by legal troubles and alcoholism and uh, parents being you know distant and. Yeah, so you know, fighting. There is a lot of a lot of that as well. So it's not all a good story. But you know, there was a time when um, the only way to get cash money to pay taxes was to sell moonshine or livestock. So it was it for a while, especially in the 19th and early 20th century. It was it was part of the economic uh, economic necessity of life in this Great Smoky Mountains. Um, and then, and one of the funny things I was finding out recently talking to, to some people was that um, elections back in the 19th century were often paid, were often paid by moonshine. The, 
somebody wanting to get elected better have a, a party on a election day and be giving out free moonshots so that everybody can get drunk and then go in and vote together. Um, and then the one with the best party usually won the, the election. Um, but, uh, uh, I mean, that might be an exaggeration, but I, I think there was some element of truth to that. Um, so now let me introduce you to my good friend and cousin Dave Angel, who knows a lot more about uh, me than moonshine and legal distilling. He's going to fill you in a lot. So howdy, Dave. Hey, how are you? Good to I'm see you, good, Joseph. Good to see you again. So uh, why don't you why don't you uh, first let everybody know your background? You know, how'd you end up in uh, to be an expert on distilling? Well, you know, grow, growing up where Joseph and I grew up, it, it, it is, like he said, it's part of the culture. It, it's around. It's something I was fascinated with my whole life growing up. Uh, I actually made my first run of moonshine when I was 14 years old. It was my ninth grade science project. Still have the still I used back then. You know, I had an old timer that taught me how to do it. I, I always thought back then, and you know, it, when these guys are gone, when these old timers are gone, moonshining goes with them, and I want to make sure I could carry it on. It'll, it'll always be there. There, there. There are people today still doing it. There always will be people. I know, I know generations of people that are working with their grandparents and their parents uh, still still making, you know, it's a, it's a different model, a different um, market than it was probably in the 30s, but but it still lives on. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, you, um, so you went off in the world for a little while, right? I did, you know, actually, I have a corporate career. I used yeah. to work there on 42nd Street a lot. I worked for, for Pfizer at one point. Um, loved my corporate career. Took me a lot of places. I lived in China for three years. Uh, human resources, business development were the kinds of things I focused on. Uh, but it, you know, a few years ago, it came time to, to come back home. I think we all end up following our roots back to where they started at some point. My parents needed me here. My wife is from our hometown and it was just time to reinvent myself. They didn't have the kinds of roles that I was doing back in in Haywood County, North Carolina. Yeah. So, you know, I think that um, one of the things that you learned about, and I think uh, the audience would really like to know about is, yeah, what is moonshine? Yeah, that's a good question. Cause I get asked that all the time when people come to the distillery and we're trying different products, they'll say, well, what made this moonshine or what about the last something specific to the moonshine recipe? Technically moonshine is anything you don't pay taxes on. So if it's rum from Jamaica, if it's vodka from overseas, you know, if you're not paying taxes on it, that's legally what makes it moonshine. Oh, what, what you see. Yeah. What you see on TV when you watch it in the movies and you know, the old guys by the steel back in the woods, that's typically a knockoff version of whiskey. A lot of times they'll call it whiskey. They'll say it's a corn whiskey. Well, technically, if a whiskey is alcohol distilled from grain. Um, if you watch TV, they're always pouring bags of sugar into the steel. Well, when you put sugar in it, it's no longer whiskey. It's a knockoff version. So that's what most people think of as moonshine. If you see it on a label um, at a distillery, it's just a funny word on a label. Uh, you know, that's that's legal stuff. Taxes paid. It's all good. Right. So, um you know, they, they you know, so in the mountains they made mostly made corn, right? Corn, um, corn, most corn, corn whiskey, um, corn uh, moonshine, right? Yeah. By the way, yeah. did you know that moonshine is actually what the, uh, they called, you know, they called it in Gaelic back in the old country. So uh, then that particular term actually comes from Scotland. 
you know, for calling the, this, this, because, you know, I guess people made it by the, the, the moon and shining at night. But uh, it was the Scotch and the Irish that brought it, you know, they were the ones that knew how to do it. So when it, when it became a, you know, it was a way of survival for a lot of people. I don't know that people necessarily went into it to be distilleries back in the 1920s. It was survival. Times were hard and they knew that was something they could turn to to pay bills. And it was the Scotch and Irish that knew how to do it and brought it with them. All right. Yeah. And, um, didn't 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 it uh, for a long time it was actually sort of an honorable pro- pro- uh, profession back in the mountains, right? Um, oh yeah, you know, yeah. And then it was yeah, like, def- definitely was. And then it was like, uh, wasn't there like taxes came in and that sort of changed everything? <laughs> that is that is how it happened. You know, taxes have always been a history. Uh, a lot of people when they think of whiskey and they think of American whiskey, they think of bourbon from Kentucky. The, the biggest reason whiskey's in Kentucky was because Pennsylvania started taxing it when the industry was in Pennsylvania. And they said, we don't have to pay taxes in Pennsylvania. We'll move somewhere else. And they moved to Kentucky because it was midway between New York and New Orleans. Well, you know, there was a, in the late, uh, you know, in the like 1790s, you know, the George Washington had to suit back up and lead an army. Uh, I think it was in the, the Pennsylvania area because the federal government it tried to make revenue by installing a whiskey tax. And we had something called the whiskey rebellion. Yes. Well, that's it. The whiskey rebellion led to moving to Kentucky. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So, um, so the other thing that I thought was interesting, you know, and and is not often talked about. And I remember this is things like Applejack and stuff like that is moonshine, can is actually can be made out, uh, out of uh, a lot of different fruits and is actually considered brandy, right? Yeah. So I said a minute ago, whiskey is alcohol distilled from grain. Brandy uh-huh. is alcohol distilled from fruit. So that's the the purest answer of those. But again, when it when it came to being made in the Smokies back in the 30s, they'd make a corn mash with some apple in it, and they they call it an apple brandy. But it had a lot of corn based alcohol in it. So if, if it's a high alcohol count brandy, it's more likely you got some sort of uh, other got some sort of whiskey in it. Exactly. If it's coming from the woods, moonshine, or even today, moonshiners will tell you about their brandy, but it always starts with some corn and sugar. Ah, interesting. Is that why um, you see these craft beers made and they have sort of full of fruits and stuff in them? And a lot of times they have a pretty high alcohol count. Yeah, that's a lot of times that is that is how it is. So for, beer beer has made such a huge transformation from the days of Bud and Miller to what we have today. You know, millennials they expect forty two beers at the bar. They don't expect three choices, and and it, it will always be that way. And you're seeing that kind of innovation now happening in distilleries. The same thing. People want variety. They want to see the. You know, most people you say quinoa whiskey, and they're like, "What?" But you can make. <laughs> You can make a quinoa whiskey for sure. It's not bad. I've had some. Now, do people still, you know, do uh, people still make uh, moonshine and stuff in the mountains? I mean, you, you know, uh, I, I, I and sure. they make brandy. I, that's what I'm wondering. I'm actually wanting some of that brandy. Do they still do that? <laughs> they they do. You know, I'm, I'm our, our distillery, Elevated Mountain Distilling Company. We're we're based in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. A lot of people will probably talk some about popcorn Sutton at some point during the. The hour, but that's that's the birthplace of a legendary moonshine named popcorn. Yeah, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm one of three or four distilleries in Maggie Valley. I'm just the only one you're going to get to walk in and see the steel. But there's there's still people 
I had my my first year there. I had a I came in one day and there was a bag sitting out front, and I thought, "What's that about?" It's right before the holidays, and some a, a local moonshiner left me a jar of apple pie moonshine he had made, and there's a note in there that just said. You've done more for marketing my business than anybody. I just want to say thanks. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty good. My 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 dad used to tell me that you know popcorn Sutter would meet him at the Maggie Valley restaurant and talk to him about things he might need, and you know, and then uh, you know try to convince him to do it. And every once in a while, he'd take one of the things that he needed to be done and do it, and then he'd get paid in moonshine. <laughs> you know, it was. Uh, it was a, it was a, 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 a it's still part of the life. I'm sure it is. You know, I, I you know I've I've noticed a few cans of moonshine around every once in a while uh, late, uh, in the last few years. So it's uh, always there. So when we come back, we're going to talk about how whiskey is made and uh, and the uh, history of uh, legal distilling. All right. Howdy. This is uh, Joseph Franklin McElroy back with. Uh, uh, Dave Angel, and we're on the gate, and we're on the gateway to the Smokies podcast, the Whiskey and Moonshine edition. I, I'm glad to have you back, Dave. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. So um, we were talking about whiskey. So you're going to give us a little education on how whiskey is made because I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it at a, at a high level first. You know, I said a couple of times out, whiskey is alcohol distilled from grain. Well, before you can distill it, you have to ferment it. Um, beer is really where whiskey starts. Uh, beer is alcohol that's been fermented from grain. If you go to a local brewery, they're taking, usually it's barley, but some other thing, you know, rye or some other grains. They add yeast to it. It ferments for a few days, and then you're drinking the beer. In the whiskey world, you're taking that beer. A lot of people call it mash. It's really the same thing. Uh, they'll always call it mash on TV because if they ever call it beer, it confuses the audience. So on TV, it's always mash, but a mash and a beer, same thing. You take that mash, you put it into a steel, you heat it up. Um, you know, everything has a different boiling point. So everybody knows water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit. Whiskey or alcohol, ethanol, distills at 174 degrees. It boils at 174 degrees. So you want to Heat that up to 174 degrees, and the alcohol, the whiskey will start coming out. The water stays in the pot, and you just separate it out, and, and you get whiskey. Mm-hmm. What is the art there? And there an art? Because I was reading that some people can make good moonshine or whiskey, and some people can make awful moonshine doing the same sort of process. Where is the art? The art. So I just sort of went through a pure science answer, but there's definitely art to it. Uh, when you make whiskey, you, you hear people talk about heads, hearts, and tails. So, again, everything has a different temperature. It turns to steam and comes out. Heads are the first chemicals that heat up and come out of the steel. Around 134, 135 degrees, you get chemicals. The, the big ones are acetone, methanol. They smell like paint thinner. They are fingernail polish remover. That's exactly where you know, fingernail polish remover comes from an ethanol plant somewhere in the Midwest. Or when you go to the gas station, it says this gas contains up to 10% ethanol. It's typically 192 proof vodka. That's what they're talking about. And the same plant they're making that, they're getting acetone out of that corn uh, for fingernail polish remover. But those are toxic chemicals that come out first, and you clearly want to get those out of the product. You don't want any 
acetone or methanol at all in your product, it just wouldn't be safe. Is that why um, some moonshiners would kill people with their moonshine? It, it, it is. That's one of the you, you hear that and you hear lead poisoning. Today's solder doesn't have lead in it, so it's pretty safe today. But back in the old days, you know, if you were trying to just make money, you weren't worried about quality. You were worried about making money. And so, you know, that's a whole different market back then. But yeah, acetone, methanol, they get acetone. Methanol makes you go blind. You you, you hear about bad moonshine making people go blind. It's because they didn't do a good clean cut up front. Um, Once that stuff comes out of the steel, right behind it's the whiskey. And if you're paying attention, we have a 920-gallon steel. We can really get a sense of you can just smell that acetone just drifting off. And all of a sudden, this whiskey smell comes in, and, and you know you're into the good stuff. And when in doubt, we let it flow another minute. Just make sure we get the, the, the heads out of there. But then comes the whiskey. Well, the purest of alcohol would be ethanol, which would also be vodka. Um, vodka is the cleanest of the hearts. It's right in the center, pure ethanol. Was well, as, as it's flowing out, you can imagine there's all these other chemicals that have different boiling points. And so little other chemicals come out with the ethanol and they add different flavors and textures to it. When we're distilling, I, you know, it, it, it takes a, it's an all day process. When we do a final run on our whiskey, it's about a 20 hour. It's a long, long day of work, but throughout the day we're sipping little bits coming off the steel to see what it's tasting like, you know, all day long. It might end up being a shot of alcohol. It's not a lot, just enough to wet your tongue, see what it tastes like. But the whiskey goes through like a buttery phase where it tastes like alcohol and butter. And then it'll go through this lemongrass phase. And again, those are just other little chemicals that are turning to steam and coming out with the, the ethanol, the alcohol. At some point, though, um, you start getting what are called tails. So tails are like, I, I like to tell people it's like salt on a French fry. You want a little bit of tails to give it some seasoning, but if you put too much salt in your French fries, you end up ruining them. And it's the same thing with tails, and that's really the art of making whiskey right there. How much tails do I let in there? It gives a little bit of a full-bodied bitter taste, but too much of it, all of a sudden it tastes like an unripe squash or zucchini, and you don't want that to ever happen to your whiskey because once it's in there, you can't take it out. So the art's making those kinds of judgments of when, when to make those cuts, how to make those cuts, to get the final flavor you want. So, and so you, when you're taking the, 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 what's coming out, you actually separated into vodka and whiskey and something else. Well, no, it all, it, it, we're either making whiskey or making vodka, but when you're making whiskey, it goes through these different phases and there is an element that's sort of pure alcohol, which would probably be a vodka phase. Um, but we're not, you don't, you don't cut vodka out of whiskey. When you make vodka, you're making a whole different product. So same basic process. Mixed, so the vodka gets mixed into the uh, whiskey. So you keep the vodka, and then you you ha- make the, and then the whiskey mixes with it, or do you? Yeah, essentially all those other chemicals with the vodka makes whiskey. I um, see. The, yeah, vodka. If you think about it, vodka, has no smell or taste to it. The smell or taste of whiskey, and that's pure ethanol. Mm-hmm. The smell and taste of whiskey are all these other chemicals that come through. And you preserve them in the alcohol. You keep them in the alcohol. That's probably a better word to say. And and collectively, they give you the taste of whiskey. So so basically, vodka is 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 uh, whatever a whiskey that's got a longer tail. Um. Well, it's I, I, I'll give you a pure answer. 
vodka, whiskey. So there's 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 rules around this. You, you know, again, when you're a moonshiner, you just make it. But yeah. when you're making it legally, there's rules you have to follow. Whiskey cannot come out of the still over 160 proof. Uh, that's 80% alcohol. So when it's 80% alcohol or lower, there's got to be other chemicals in there. And that's what gives whiskey its flavor. I see. Vodka legally has to come out of the still 190 proof, which means it's 95% alcohol. Wow. So there's very little room for other chemicals in there. Uh, and and that's why it has no taste because alcohol has no taste. Okay, cool, interesting. Uh, so these old time moonshiners having to deal with this, they essentially did it by taste as well. Then the ones that were really good, yeah, yeah, they did. You know, I've, I've had a lot of fun, especially in the first couple of years we were running. We had a lot of local moonshiners that would come in. They'd want to see the the fancy distillery and what it was that you know was different from them. And, and most moonshiners, you know, they, they, they didn't read a book on how to do this. They didn't go to school to how to do this. Daddy taught them or granddaddy taught them. Um, so I, I've, I've had some really interesting conversations with a moonshiner that would say, you know, I knew at this point I was supposed to do something different, but it was just because daddy told me to. I never really understood why I was doing that. Now I, I understand it. Well, let me, you know, I, I've heard some moonshiners talk too, and they always talked about, you know, finding a place they were looking for soft water. What does that mean? So, so soft water, so soft and hard water. If it's really hard, it, it um, if it's too hard a water, it, 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 it's different. It just has a different chemistry to it than soft water. Um, people who have hard water, if you take a shower, it takes forever to rinse off because soap just won't rinse off of you in hard water. That's why they make water softening systems to make the water softer. That's one of the benefits of soft water is it it rinses. So it, it actually does have a different feel and reaction to it. And so you, you do want a good soft water. You want a good mineral base in your water. Um, a lot of times you hear people talk about limestone, water that's went through limestone. Um, I would tell you one of the big reasons I'm in the Smoky Mountains, anywhere from I'll say Knoxville to Asheville, the water in the Great Smoky Mountains, that part of the Blue Ridge is just fabulous. And, yeah, and good water right makes a world of difference. Yeah. They bottle yeah, Maggie exactly. Valley water. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Maggie, so, so Maggie Valley, we're in Haywood County, North Carolina. We have the highest average elevation of any county east of the Rockies. And what that means is water flows downhill yeah. and there's no water that comes up into Haywood County. So all of our water starts right there. I can literally go out the front door of the distillery and I can point to Water Rock Knob and Phytop Mountain. That's where my water comes from, those two mountain peaks. So I guess that probably made you, uh, went into your decision why to come back and create a distillery in the mountains as well as being at home. But what is the story of how you created an elevated distillery? Well, it, you know, there were a lot of reasons. I mean, definitely coming back home, but I could have just as easily lived, you know, a couple hours away somewhere else and, and got the satisfaction of being home. Why I really chose Maggie Valley, one's that water that we just talked about. You just can't beat it. And and, and the water's so pure in Haywood County. Our water in, in Maggie drops from 6,000 feet down to the base at 3,000 feet of the valley. It's not traveled more than a mile, mile and a half before it gets. I mean, it's just good, clean, pure, unadulterated water. You know, we, we also have this history. We've mentioned Popcorn Sutton two or three times. He is America's most legendary moonshiner. Um, he, you know, he, 
the stories and the history and folklore that comes with him, I get asked about him every day. So people come to Maggie Valley looking for moonshine. They're looking for that history and heritage. Uh, we, we get people, you know, the, the beverage industry as a whole is big in Western North Carolina. Asheville, 20 minutes away, is a major beer hub for the whole East Coast. Yeah. So um, did you, a, when did you create Elevated Distillery? We've, we've been fully operational three and a half years. And we had a year, year of renovation and building out our, our building before that. And was it hard getting it hard to get approval? Was it easy or is the culture of the mountains made it seem acceptable? Yeah, it's, you know, the, on the, like the legal side, just like there a minute, there's permits you have to get. You have to get a federal permit. You have to get a state permit. It's all about t- paying taxes. That's mainly what it's about, making sure they that you're registered and paying taxes. But, yeah, when it comes to culture and where you're going to put that, that's a sensitive topic to some some communities. Uh, I, I, I knew Maggie had a long history of moonshining. I knew there were moonshiners there. I mean, that's where I grew up. I knew that it was open. I didn't know how well received it would be as far as a legal distillery. Um, overall, I've been very welcome. Good. Um, well, you know, we, Maggie Valley's got a real authentic mountain culture still. So, yeah, yes. yeah I'm assuming there's both welcoming and probably some uh, probably some resistance and, and you know, because it also has a very religious uh, uh, culture as well. But, uh, you know, you got it. You got it created. So that's great. Um, yeah. And, yeah, we'll talk about some of the things you're doing uh, uh, for the community in just a little bit. Um, right now, we're going to head off to another break, and we'll come back and we'll talk about your products and you know and and uh, and uh, other things that you're doing. Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with uh, Gateway to Smokies podcast with the uh, uh, whiskey and uh, moonshine episode, and with me is Dave Angel. Uh, owner of the Elevated uh, Dis- Mountain Distillery in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. Hey, Dave. So uh, hey, y'all. So um, we were talking about y- your uh, your distillery. What kind of um, what kind of place is it? What do people experience when they come there? Well, we we, we do all kinds of things. So we're first and foremost, we're a distillery. Uh, we're very proud of, to be a distillery. The, the products we make, we've got award winning products in the three and a half years we're there. Uh, we, we make a vodka called Hurricane Creek. We've got a, a corn whiskey, a, a straight off the steel white lightning version of it, moonshine version, if you will. And we also have a three-year barrel age version called Purchase Knob. Uh, we're about to release a bourbon called Water Rock Knob. It's three and a half years. It's been sitting in a barrel, and it's super good. But then we have some flavor products, too. We have Shining Rock brand of moonshines. we got a blackberry, a strawberry apple pie and peach pie and then we have one product it's we call it root beer white lightning it's named after raymond fairchild the only five-time world champion banjo player in history from right there in maggie valley north carolina so we we celebrate his music heritage as well Uh, so we have a lot of products if you come to the distillery during the day most people come and they want to do a tour of the distillery they want to see the place they have questions they want to ask and have answered you know, we try to tell them what we can. I'd you know, be as transparent about that. We walk you through making whiskey. Uh, we we have samples of our products. We got a big still. It's nine hundred and twenty gallons. It's it's a beast. Uh, so you know, people are fascinated to see that. It doesn't look like what you'd see in the backwoods. As the night, as we move into night, especially Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, we're a music venue. We're one of the best places you can go to catch live music. Uh, typically, karaoke on Thursdays. 
Friday nights tend to be more alternative music. By alternative, I mean blues, uh, bluegrass, that kind of thing. Saturday nights tend to be more big band, big party uh, kind of music. We we generate some big crowds at our place um, and, and love to have fun with the folks that come out. We have a full bar, beer, wine, and cocktails that we offer. Um, so it depends. You know, we, it depends what you're looking for. We, we've got that nightlife atmosphere. We've also got a how it's made production atmosphere too. Party was it business up front, party in the back. I mean, it's sort of that kind of a, a mindset. Well, I remember going there, and you got a, a wonderful um, front area that's um, uh, sort of a, a gift shop, right, with lots of uh, interesting artifacts of the mountains and uh, and also the, you know the standard museum fair. Of, uh, T-shirts and stuff like that, but yeah, you know, books and uh, and uh, jugs and glasses and all sorts of stuff, right? We we do, you know, a lot of and I, and I learned that from some of the other you know, the, the distilling industry is a small knit group of people, so we're always helping each other out because we want to see each other survive and be successful. But I heard that from many places. Make sure you get some good T-shirts because some people come to buy booze. Some just want a T-shirt says I was there. Yeah, and there's a lot of truth to that. And then, then you go through some doors, and you go into this big, wide open space, right? That you can see these giant uh, vats, I guess, or distilling. You know. Yeah, our our place used to be a dinner theater, so we've actually got a little bit of a slope to the floor, and where the stage once was, we now we've removed the stage. The still actually sits in the basement under the stage, so it's partially below you and partially still. So it's, the, the tallest part of the steel is 23 feet. So it still towers way over you. And then um, but when, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, when you walk in, there's a barrel rack on both sides. Obviously it really does feel like you're going in. I mean, you know, when you walk in the doors, you're going into a distillery. And it smells incredible, right? <laughs> yes, it does every day. Even when we're not producing, there's just so much alcohol in there from what's in barrels and little bits seep out of barrels every day. And it just gives a great smell to the place. Now, do you 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 buy your barrels from somewhere else, right? We do. We um we've bought from a couple of different places. Um, you know, when when the distilling industry took off, the craft distilling industry, you know, ten years ago, you went to Kentucky or you went to Napa Valley. That's where barrels were made in America. Now there's there's barrel makers all over the southeast. We we work with one out of Bristol, uh, Virginia, about two hours away. They're they're very close to us. It's easy to run up and get some if we need them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, that's a, a big part of it. It's when you walk in the, the, the look and feel of barrels, the, the, what they do. A lot of people don't realize whiskey comes off a of steel clear. All alcohol pretty much comes off a of steel clear. When you put it in a barrel, a whiskey barrel is made out of American white oak. It's char burned on the inside. It's that burnt layer of wood that's turns the whiskey brown. Oh, interesting. As it affect, it affects the taste too, right? It does. About 60% of a whiskey's flavor is going to come from that charred barrel. Mm-hmm. And what's different from, say, uh, Tennessee whiskey from your whiskey? Is there any? Or? Um, there, there is. Tennessee whiskey has to be made in Tennessee. Um, it is That's the, the biggest criteria to it. They, they would get mad at me in Tennessee for saying this, but Tennessee whiskey is a bourbon that's then poured through a charred maple wood filter that gives it a sweeter maple note and they say because of that it's no longer bourbon it's tennessee whiskey but they don't like you to call it bourbon up front they they just want to talk about tennessee whiskey well, what's the difference between bourbon and whiskey so good question bourbon and i'll i'll blow some people's minds here 
bourbon is whiskey. Bourbon and scotch are both whiskeys. I get asked that all the time. What's the difference scotch, bourbon, whiskey? Scotch has to be made in Scotland. Bourbon has to be made in America. It does not have to be made in Kentucky. It has to be made in America. Bourbon has to be at least 51% corn. has to be aged in a brand new charred American white oak barrel. So once that barrel's used, you can no longer put bourbon back in it. It's been used for bourbon the first and only time. The biggest buyer of bourbon barrels are the Scots and the Irish. Scotch whiskey, Irish whiskey all goes and use bourbon barrels. Oh, interesting. Now, why would Tennessee make bourbon first and then convert it into whiskey? It's just the process. They use a brand new charred American white oak barrel. Most Tennessee, bur- most Tennessee whiskeys are 75 to 85% corn. So when it's made in America, at least 51% corn, you put it in that brand new barrel, it's legally a bourbon. But they go that extra step to say, well, we're going to char, we're going to run it through a charred maple filter, and that transforms it into Tennessee whiskey. <laughs> it's all about marketing. It really is. <laughs> so yours is not a brand new bar- barrel. You get you get aged barrels then, right? We, we well, we get both. We have bourbon that we have not released yet. It's super good. It's sitting in a barrel. Um, you know, what I learned from other places. I'd love to tell you everything I do is my own creation, but. You know, I'll give a shout out to Maker's Mark. They they barrel whiskey at 111 proof. Most distilleries barrel bourbon in the 120 to 125 proof range. By lowering that closer to what you're actually going to drink, you get a more intense bourbon flavor. And that sounded good to me when I toured Maker's Mark and we barrel age our whiskey at 110 or our bourbon at 110, 111 proof. And it's got an intense whiskey flavor. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, it's got. Uh, I remember when we went to to the ABC store. They were, you know, they recommended it when you were. They, they actually recommended it when somebody was asking for, you know, pretty intense flavor. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. good. Yeah. So, um, so, um, so, what what kind of uh, competition friend cooperators do you have in the region distilleries? Oh, there's there's several, and, and I, I I rely on a lot of them. They they come to me with questions. When people come to the Smokies or to Western North Carolina, you tend to do one of two things. You're either coming to Asheville, North Carolina. We get a lot of people that go to Asheville. They want to see the Biltmore House. They want to tour the breweries. There's two or three distilleries there. Um, H&H Distilling Company, good friends of mine. They, um, I actually was talking with them just this week. Uh, there's also Etta Rhine. There's The Chemist. Those are great distilleries over in the Asheville area. People tend to visit them, and then we're their – day outside of Asheville, they come up to Maggie Valley. We we like to brag in Maggie, we're the, the mountains of Asheville, North Carolina, because Asheville's in a big basin. You have to leave Asheville to get to the mountains, and they come to Maggie Valley. The other big place people tend to go is Gatlinburg, Tennessee, Pigeon Forge area. A lot of people, when you say Great Smoky Mountain National Park, they think Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I'll, I'll tell you right up front, the majority of the park is in North Carolina. It's not in Tennessee, uh, but Gatlinburg's done a great job of marketing that that spot. But over in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, there's oh, there's twenty distilleries. I mean, the most visited distillery in the world. I'll give them a shout out: Old Smoky and Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Something like two million people a year go to Gatlinburg to see that distillery. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's it, if you've ever been to Gatlinburg, you get that. It's it's a it's, um, it's a tourist. Yeah, yeah. It's a tourist destination for sure. But you know, Old Smoky Sugarlands is a big one over there. Um, I got a good friend that runs one called um, Old Forge and Pigeon Forge area. Um, there's one Junction 35 that I, I, I go check out. I'm, I'm impressed by them. But I mean, there's literally 20 over there. 
But again, people that go to Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge area, they want to go over the Great Smoky Mountain National Park to see the park that brings you to Maggie Valley, North Carolina. And so they, they see us as well. Yeah, we used to, well, that's you know, why I named the podcast Gateway to the Smokies is Haywood County used to be called the Gateway to the Smokies because, you know, that's how you used to get, uh, people knew to get to it. So, uh, yeah. Um, so um, you, you talk about distilleries. There's also a lot of, a lot of craft beverages there, you know, beer and, and even wine. Why is it so big in the Smokies? You know, it, it really comes back to something I said earlier. It's the water. We have fabulous water in western North Carolina, anywhere from Knoxville to Asheville, just incredible water. The the beer industry really picked up on that. You know, it, it's surprising even to people that live in western North Carolina, but the biggest manufacturing industry in western North Carolina is beer, wine, and spirit manufacturing. Uh, there's something like 2,500 people that work in breweries, wineries, and distilleries across uh, Western North Carolina. It's it, it drives our agribusiness. Um, it would surprise a lot of people. The most visited winery in America. It's not in Napa. It's not in Sonoma. It's in Asheville, North Carolina. It's the Biltmore. Biltmore right? Yeah, it's yeah. the it's the most visited winery in America. So we are, we're right there in the heart of all that. Asheville has something like thirty five, maybe even forty breweries just in downtown Asheville. And, 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 you know, Haywood County is now starting to get a number of really good uh, breweries there as well. Even Maggie has a brewery now. Maggie has a brewery, too. Bearwaters in Maggie Valley. They're also in Canton. I have a brewmance with those guys. I, I think the world of Art and Kevin, uh, they're the owners of, of Bearwaters. They're good buddies of mine. I do a lot with them. We make hand sanitizer together. Um, it's We found ways to work together and doing some business, which is a lot of fun when it's friends you're working with. There's Frog Level Brewing in downtown Waynesville. There's Boojum Brewing in downtown Waynesville. We have a winery in, in Maggie Valley, a BNC Winery. So yeah, we got hey, little Haywood County. We got a, we got breweries, we got winery, we got distillery, we got a craft soda company, uh, Waynesville Soda Jerks. They are super good. A lot of fruit based sodas that that they make, and, and we got some fabulous coffee shops too. We're we're into everything. Yeah, so I mean, it's a great place to visit for you want the, that craft beverage experience. In fact, me and uh, Dave are talking about maybe doing a craft beverage festival. We'll see. Yes. How, we'll see if we can get that together. Um, but uh, so right now we're going to take another break, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about the moonshine history when we get back uh, in the Smoky Mountains of North Carolina. Hey, this is Joseph McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast with my uh, good friend Dave Angel. Hey, Dave. So, hey, y'all. So, uh, you know, you mentioned Popcorn Sutton. He, I think per, you know people that know anything, have any knowledge of the moonshining at all know about Popcorn Sutton. I think he got famous on the Moonshiners TV show, right? He did. The first few seasons, they talked. Popcorn had actually passed away before the show got started, but they used a lot of footage of popcorn up front. Uh, and I think that was a big key to the success of the show. Yeah. Well, what was pop? Why was popcorn so famous? Yeah, he, he, he was, he was a great moonshiner. He was an excellent marketer. He knew how to, how to put his stuff out there and, and to get it known. Uh, what really made him famous. He, he uh, was in a documentary called the last run. And the last run was filmed in Popcorn Sutton, making his last run of moonshine. It was filmed in 2002. And for the next five or six years, people were desperately hoping to get a bottle of that last run. And he always happened to have just a few jars sitting around. 
Um, it was some of the best marketing that he ever did. But when when that movie came out, the last run, it won a, an Emmy. Um, from New York City to Miami, it was getting on the new, you know, on television. It was that feel good story on Friday night on the news. Today in Maggie Valley, North Carolina, Popcorn Sutton announced his last run of moonshining. <laughs> they called him the last of the rebels. Uh, were more like 10 miles, I guess, maybe 12 miles. Um, but we're right there on the border. He went back and forth between sort of the Cosby, Parisville, Tennessee area, Maggie Valley, North Carolina. He, he, you know, I was talking about his marketing, and you mentioned earlier the, the Maggie Valley restaurant. Popcorn drove a Model A Ford truck. And yeah. if you asked him why he drove it, he said, I'm too poor to afford anything fancier than this. It was marketing. When he pulled into the campground at 9 o'clock, it was like the ice cream truck pulled in. <laughs> All the moms and dads were like, popcorn's here. Get your money. Let's go get us some moonshine before he leaves. You know, well, it was, classic, he was a classic uh, uh, mountain man character, I'll tell you what, right? He was. He sort of he, looked he like was, that picture right behind you, right? <laughs> well, that's that's him right there. That's a wood carving. Uh, mountain Mike's Whetstone in Maggie Valley. They carved this out for me. But that's, yeah. that's a rendition of Popcorn Sutton right there. Yeah. So what do you think of that Moonshiners TV show? You know, it's 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 a great show. I'm, I'm familiar. I, I know everybody on the show. They've all been at our place. Uh, February, the last Saturday, I don't know what the date is, the last Saturday in February from one to four, almost the whole cast is going to be at the distillery. They do a meet and greet the last Saturday of February with us every year. You know, we get thousands of people that will go through the distillery. We're we're limited because of COVID how many can be in there at one time, but we'll get them through and make sure they all get to meet their favorite moonshiners from the show. But they all live right in and around Maggie Valley. Yeah. Um, I see them all the time. We had uh, Kelly Williamson from the show came out to listen to music with me Saturday night. Um, it's it's interesting what it's done to moonshine. So, you know, the moonshiners of the, the 30s, 40s, you know, even the 60s and 70s, they weren't about making good product. They were make, about making good money. They yeah. wanted to see how cheap they could make it and how much they could sell it for. Th- that show has, you know, it's, it's sort of rejuvenated the energy around moonshining. And, and you've got these um, gourmet moonshiners today. They want to use the best of the best grains. They want to make whiskeys you can't buy anywhere else or find anywhere else. They're, they're really pushing the limits of what can be done. And it's, 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 it's interesting to see what some of these guys are doing. So, yeah, for people listening, if one of the adventures you could do is come to Maggie Valley and see if you can find, get a local who will introduce you to a moonshiner, but you'll have to convince them that you're fairly <laughs> trustworthy. So that'd be yep. an adventure of your lifetime if you can do it. Um, you know, but, you know, you probably can find somebody that'll get you product, but uh, maybe a little bit harder to find the moonshiner himself. Yeah. So you we, can find a great adventure. Uh, that was back in the day. That's why people came to Maggie Valley. You know, now there are guys like me out there that are making legal moonshine. Yeah. But back well, in the 1970s. Come to your place and get the legal stuff because you got a fun experience. You got all the music and things going on. You know, it's like a, it's a tremendous uh, event, uh, uh, facility. And then, then do some little adventures because, you know, you talk about the water. It's great to go uh, you know, tubing and fishing and all sorts of things in that whole area. Rafting so with the waters. Now, is it true that NASCAR came out of moonshining? Yes, it did. NASCAR definitely has its roots in in, in moonshining. They were so if, if you make if you make illegal liquor, you're called a moonshiner. If you transport it, you're called a bootlegger. So bootleggers 
or the that's the beginnings of NASCAR right there. They they had souped up. They tended to put super big shocks in the back of the car in spring so that when they loaded it down with moonshine, it didn't sink in the bottom and it looked like it drove right. But they had to be able to outrun the law and they have big engines in those cars to be able to do it. <laughs> so we're going to have to close up a little bit soon. Where can we buy your product besides your, uh, your, uh, your, uh, your distillery? Well, we'd love to have you come to the distillery, come visit Maggie Valley, but we're available at ABC stores, alcohol beverage control stores in North Carolina, all throughout the state. Um, whether you buy it in Wilmington, the coast of Wilmington, North Carolina, or at the distillery, it's the exact same price. That's one of the pros and cons of uh, a state-controlled alcohol. But we're, we're sold throughout the state of North Carolina. We are looking to expand into some other states. Um, you know, we, we get visitors from, in our, in our first six months of operating, we had a visitor from every state but Wyoming. Uh-huh. Um, and there's not a lot of people in Wyoming. That's what I discovered later. It took a while to get one from there. And but, we- yeah, you know, People come from all over, and so we're, we're trying to figure out what states make the best sense for us to move into. And what's uh, what's your website? Um, elevatedmountain.com, www.elevatedmountain, all one word, all spelled out, .com. You can find us on Facebook. We've probably got 14,000, 15,000 followers on Facebook. That's probably the easiest way to keep up with what's happening. Elevated Mountain Distilling Company. Uh, if you're on Instagram or Twitter, Elevated MTN. Uh, we do uh, love to do things on there as well, but we're always we, putting our music out. We, we really go to Facebook as the place to publish what's happening. So, yeah, so it's a, it's a great resource. I want to mention some other things. Another cousin of mine runs a, uh, a big festival in Maggie Valley called the Hillbilly Jam. And you go to thehillbillyjam.com to find out more about it. It's going to be on July 23rd, 11 a.m. to July 24th, 11 p.m. And it's got the foods, craft, hillbillies. It's uh, it's got moonshiners from the Discovery Channel. It's got cars and bike show. It's very much part of hillbilly and, moon, and mountaineer uh, moonshine culture. And then I got a shout out to my things. I got a motel in Maggie Valley called the Metal Ark Motel. It's been in my family for over 45 years. We are a classic roadside motel that we have uh, renovated to be uh, Appalachian chic. Uh, and we have uh, a lot of craft beverages there available for people to experience. Unfortunately, we don't do uh, 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 Dave's uh, product there, but he'll come by and do a tasting if you want it. And we're, and we're a stone's on, throw away. <laughs> we're working on, <laughs> and we're working on getting a restaurant so then we can actually serve liquor because you can't do a li- liquor without a restaurant. But there's restaurants all around us that you can get his product. We have some of the top restaurants in the area right across the street and next door. Um, I own, I also have a, um, a site called Smokies Adventure, that's plural.com, where you can get information and listings about things they're doing in the Smokies and wedding venues and buy books and trail maps and resources. In fact, soon I'm going to have a book called Corn from the Jar, um, Moonshining in the Great Smoky Mountains, that uh, supports nonprofits that support that to help you know, finance the Great Smoky Mountains operations. So that'll be, uh, for people listening to this, uh, you know, this is going to be around for a while. You'll be able to go there. It's not there yet, but it'll be there soon. And then uh, I'm part of the Wear Traveler uh, magazine network. Uh, we, uh, we're we building a great Smoky Mountain section that's going to feature experts and, uh, and human interest stories about the mountains. Um, and uh, it's a big site. It's got over 12 million visitors a year. And uh, the stories are going to be very much into uh, uh, what, what, what the things we talk about here. And then I remind you, you can find more about Go- Gateway to the Smokies podcast by going to facebook.com slash gateway to the Smokies podcast. It's going to be, it's every Tuesday 
from six to seven. And um, we look forward to having you back um, and, uh, and, and finding out uh, what, what's going on next week. It's going to be an exciting show. Um, and uh, I want to thank you, Dave, for showing up. And, uh, you know, go get your daughter now. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's in the middle of going from one place to another. So uh, bye for this week. See you next week.